Welcome everyone to All About Windows Phone Insight podcast number 136 and recording this on a Tuesday the 21st of April 2015. I'm Steve Litchfield as usual and my regular co- podcasting partner is Rafe Blanford. Yes, hello everybody. Thank you very much Steve. Great to be back for another All About Windows Phone Insight here. Uh, I guess this week we're going to be talking about quite a few little different bits uh, we've got some here maps questions to get through. Thank you for sending some of those in. Talk a bit more about the Lumia 640 as well. I'm sure there'll be a mention for the 640 XL. We've been uh, putting both of those devices through their paces. Maybe some time for some imaging shootout stuff. Um, and also sort of talking about the Windows 10 preview for phones, of which there's been an update. And as we promised last week, we'll, we'll be talking a little bit more about that. It's still very early days on that. So we want to concentrate on some of the topics that will be uh, relevant for a wider audience as well. So, uh, Steve, what are we going to start with this time round? Well, we did have um, one particular uh, question that we've been putting off for a few weeks. And uh, I think it's particularly topical. Um, I think it was from Snowflake uh, that use a regular reader in our, our forums and commenter uh, threads. And the question, just to summarize, is a rather long question because he's been doing a lot of research. Um, is he's been looking at the way the HERE team, this is the still owned by the brand name Nokia, the mapping people over in Germany, um, how they've been promoting their, their new versions, of course, for Android and iOS and uh, new systems, even in the desktop browser. And he, he spotted the fact that they seem to be pushing Windows Phone very much to the background in terms of their activities. And he wonders, well, is this the start of a big split between Microsoft and here? And oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. Are we going to have to go back to Bing, Bing Maps data and incomplete everything? But I have a theory, Rafe. Uh, my theory is having played with the Windows 10 Insiders preview on phones and on the desktop, it seems pretty clear to me that Microsoft simply are saying, okay, well, we're going to take responsibility for the code, the physical application. That way we can, maps in this case, and navigation, that way we can make it completely conform to our own interface guidelines for Windows 10. Um, and then, we, But we're still going to use here for the data. And if you think back to the early days, right, now they started out as NavTech and Nokia bought them, and they were a mapping a source of mapping data and it's exactly what here is being used for in this instance yes the here team do and their own uh, first party applications for other platforms and that's absolutely their right they can do that um, but microsoft has got an amicable agree- agreement with them to license the map data where appropriate and also to bring in data from other uh, mapping providers so zenrin for example take, taking on the japanese data and i'm sure they'll partner with other mapping sources around the world and then Microsoft take on the, the actual coding of the applications that we'll be seeing on our Windows phones and Windows 10 phones over the next couple of years. Uh, to me, that makes absolute sense. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, it's interesting to kind of speculate about, about some of the conspiracy theories. And I think there is quite a tortured story between uh, here and Microsoft and knocking everything that's going on. And actually the latest news out is that Nokia might well be looking to kind of sell off here and there's speculation about who might be a, a potential buyer from kind of the car manufacturer consortium to Microsoft or even someone like Yahoo. Uh, I guess we might touch on that a bit later on, but specific to Windows Phone, yes, you're right in some senses, the kind of the new position, which we're seeing, especially with there's actually a new version of Maps coming out for Windows 10 for phones. And actually, we've just seen the preview in the last week or so. And that is very much kind of a Microsoft built thing. And as you said, sort of some of the things from 
uh, Bing Maps making a bit of a comeback. Having used that uh, preview, I do have a few concerns that they don't have some of the feature depth of here, and uh, I would be concerned that it becomes to US focus. And I think this is sometimes a problem that Microsoft platforms have. And whereas here being based in Europe always has had a, a more international outlook and that's reflected in its data set, but also the way it do, does things. And some, some of the kind of more advanced features like my commute and potentially also transit directions, we're not quite seeing how that will work out, but it's very early days. So I don't want to be too critical. And there actually are actually you know, some significant improvements, things like updated satellite imagery. If you're running the Windows 10 phone for preview, you'll be able to find that new maps app in the store. So it's well worth giving it a, a whirl. But that does actually inform, I think, what's happened with uh, here, as you uh, suggested that Microsoft is kind of building the app itself. I think there was actually quite a bit of confusion originally over exactly how that was going to work and the handover process. It's becoming more clear now that Microsoft will be creating a universal app that will run on both Windows uh, 10 and Windows 10 for phones, and of course, everything in between as well. Uh, that is going to take advantage of multiple data sources. And as you say, that actually is more the traditional NavTech and here model. And the sort of provision of first party here apps was, uh, it was obviously something that Nokia wanted to do because they wanted to take advantage of their asset. But it actually moved away in some senses from what Navtech was all about, which was being the best possible data provider. And actually, still, that's what here is really about, providing a whole set of geo databases and the accompanying services like route finding, traffic information, public transport information, real-time parking data. And actually moving forward, it's going to create kind of LiDAR-based 3D models of cities and roads in order to be able to do uh, self-driving vehicles and other kind of autonomous uh, navigation. Uh, and so it is kind of a, a return to normal, but I, I think it does hide a bit of a, a, say a frustration story that when... Uh, Microsoft bought the device and services division. Uh, there was a clause in that agreement that it got pretty favorable terms in terms of getting stuff from here. And it was termed a special relationship. I think that was about the level of access to the databases, perhaps some specific licensing conditions. But the actual app themselves and the development of them almost seem to have fallen through the gap a little bit. And I can remember talking to here at the time and they were saying, no, my, Microsoft is going to you know, take over development of those. And uh, Microsoft said, actually, no, here's going to be doing some development work. And I think this was the gap between kind of 8.1 and 10. And perhaps not surprisingly, most minds were fixed already at that point on Windows 10. And they were sort of forgetting about the intervening time period. And it's it's pretty noticeable there haven't been major updates for the Here apps in the same way that there had been in the preceding time period. So it's absolutely fair to say that kind of Here didn't put as much effort in. I think perhaps the uh, Windows Phone app development teams were put on to Android and iPhone. And we've seen the kind of consequence of those comes out in terms of native apps for those platform. And in one sense, if you're here, it's a perfectly defendable and understandable decision. You know, Windows Phone probably represents about 5% of the market globally. You're going to want to look into and investigate the other 95% if you're going to make that first-party app strategy a goer, which honestly, it, it seems to me, uh, on the one hand, that's asking a lot. On the other hand, getting that kind of data from users, I mean, because you can use every instance of your map app as a probe to collect information, also uh, data coming in from use in terms of explicitly submitted corrections and data. And you know, Google has demonstrated that it's been able to build a very big and very accurate database doing that. And here was always a little bit sniffy about that, talking about professional uh, data collection and all of that. But you know, times have changed. Um, but subsequently, when we sort of went on, 
there was sort of, oh, actually, no, here's going to be doing it. And I, I think there was some, you know, political fallout, whatever you want to label it, that did mean there was a bit of a, a gap and no one really has taken responsibility for it. And what we're seeing now with uh, Windows 10 for phones and the map app that's coming from Microsoft is kind of partly a, a reflection of that. So although, um, you know, it's easy to talk Snowflake when he was talking about it, you know, saying is this sort of deliberate on, are they taking a, a grudge too far? No, I mean, it's you know, just business logic, really. Um, I, I suspect there are certainly plenty of people within the old Nokia um, uh, and potentially here as well, a bit annoyed with Microsoft and uh there's probably some ill feeling there. You know, you're not going to go through that kind of business change without there being, you know, some uh, leftover feelings. Uh, but, uh, you know, businesses don't really operate at the higher level like that, or at least um, most of the time I don't think they do. And so I think it's a bit of a case of, uh, although there's plenty of hot air and sort of talk about people getting upset, I don't really think there's all there m- much to it. Uh, what I do think is there was a bit of mismanagement and the ball got dropped sort of between the... Uh, acquisition of the devices and services division by microsoft and no one really thought about what was going to happen to maps in the intervening period to to windows 10 and of course it makes sense for microsoft to take control of a key app like that especially one that is a universal app that runs not just on phones but across tablets laptops and desktop pcs as well yeah of course the existing here maps here drive here transit they do still work very well on windows phone Indeed. and i'd still put them up against the uh equivalents on android and iphone quite happily and they come very 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 competitive and i have noticed absolutely no and i, I realize they could have developed it further in the intervening 12 months but there's absolutely no complaints using a windows phone day to day you do not say oh i wish they'd um, fix those bugs and i wish they'd make it faster it works absolutely fine so i have been trying the maps of windows 10 which is obviously in a very early state but um I'm quite optimistic, Rafe. And uh, the big thing with the the current Windows 10 um, Insiders preview is the fact that the Office uh, applications are all missing. And I know we should uh, we shouldn't harp on about one particular suite or or indeed hold Microsoft to anything because this is very clearly an early build. But uh, I think as soon as the Office um, application becomes available in preview form for the Insiders build, and with the maps being quite usable there, I'm very very tempted. As I think I mentioned in last week's podcast to to treat our windows 10 15 20 with all these applications um as a main device for a while and just see how long i last yeah it'll be interesting to see how you get on because my feeling on the the updated build for windows 10 phones it's still not quite ready for prime time um I, I perhaps am a little more pessimistic about the map situation because an awful lot of development work went into here maps here drive here transit and I'm not sure all of it will be replicated in the first version, both in terms of experience and functionality. I mean, I absolutely agree with you. They're really strong apps. Although this category is one that seems to evoke very strong reactions. I mean, you only need to look at Apple Maps and Google Maps and the whole thing on iOS to see that. Uh, I think a lot of um, the Here Maps criticism that you see, and particularly comes out of the US market, where it seems some of the point of information database and arguably some of the maps aren't as strong as Google. And yet when you look in some other markets, and the European ones are a classic example of this, Here has traditionally had a, a better, more accurate database, and particularly when it comes to things like routing and some real-time traffic information, has generally been uh, a little bit ahead of Google Maps, which is, of course, its its main competition. So I think some of the kind of expressions of loyalty on each side are very much dependent on which geography you live in. Um, and you mentioned additional uh, map providers, and that's one of the reasons that it, this is a good thing, because you've now got coverage of Japan, which traditionally uh, here didn't have. 
And so, you know, I think this is a good thing, don't get me wrong, but I think also that whether there'll be a complete replication of all that functionality and the way of doing things, it remains to be seen. Uh, perhaps some of my scepticism has come from when I was trying this out. This is on the Windows uh, 10 for phones, which I think it's fair to say isn't ready for prime time. There's still a lot of gaps to be filled in. Um, I'm one of the things that's a kind of a big deal on it for me is a lot of the uh, controls and navigation have moved towards the top of the screen. It, it perhaps makes it hard to use a one-handed device, but makes sense on tablet devices and certainly more consistent with what happens on other platforms and perhaps with, arguably with uh, desktop windows as well. That's a big discussion. I think maybe we'll come, cover that on a, another another week of the podcast. Uh, but just to sort of throw in an alternate view there on, on the maps thing, um, yeah, maybe I should say I'm cautiously optimistic, but uh, experience has taught me that it perhaps won't be uh, a utopia first time out. <laughs> but you know me, I like living on the bleeding edge. I and, think uh, you do. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun, actually, knowing that every single day you wake up, you think, oh, maybe there'll be a new update that fixes something that wasn't working yesterday. And, and that's kind of exciting. That, that's, why, that's why I get up in the morning. That's what makes me live and breathe. How sad is that? Um, let's move on, Ray. <laughs> uh, I did review the Lumia 640. Now, we last week's podcast, we covered the 640XL in, in a fair amount of detail. And I think that was a pretty positive review as well. The 640, I kind of felt at the time, wasn't going to be as exciting. And indeed, it's not. But having said that, I think we've seen in the last week or so, um, it's now, in, I know this is a UK-based podcast, but we've seen it at £89, unlocked, um, on a, with a, a pe- buying a, a pay-as-you-go SIM card, um, in Carfin Warehouse, uh, £89 for something with a five-inch screen with a clear black display light, a really, really nice loudspeaker, a huge battery for the uh, price point. It just goes on and on and on. Um, very very clear screen, uh, pretty well-optimized processor that can push out um, a 1080p video capture and 1080p video playback. I mean, there's, there's this 640, I, I basically titled it, no apology needed. You could recommend this Lumia 640, in actual fact, to almost anyone who said, look, I'm looking for my first smartphone, I'm looking for a, something that doesn't cost the earth, something that doesn't cost the price of an Apple iPhone, uh, for example, or a Samsung Galaxy S6, you say, well, give the Lumia 640 a try. It's, it's under £100. It'll do 98% of what you want, and uh, you know, let's give it a go. And I think absolutely no apology should be needed. Uh, I think that's a very fair conclusion. I mean, I would go so far as to say that this comes very close to, I think, taking the crown of the best all-round Windows phone device that you can buy when you're considering kind of value for money, experience, and all of those things. And previously, I kind of identified the 735 as being my pick in that category. Now, this doesn't mean it's the right phone for everybody. It's the one that you should buy. But just looking at the overall kind of proposition, you know, you're getting much of the full kind of camera experience and all those other things that come down from the higher-end devices, which you don't always get with the low-end device. And you see that in the camera as well. The camera's, you know, it's not top-end, but it's still very good. And it's a noticeably a cut above what we've expected to see in these kind of lower-end devices. When I talk about low-end device, I'm really talking about a price point that's £100 or below, which the 640 very much falls into, where its sister device, the 640XL, doesn't at the moment. And of course, I'd, I'd probably still rather have a 640XL given that it's you know you get some extra features with it and it just feels like a, a better device um, but as I say it's significantly more expensive so when I talk about the overall best you know that's taking value into consideration as well but also you know it is as you were suggesting there some of the hardware it's just all the things that you know go into these devices we know they're always a compromise we know that you know if you have a better screen that means either the cost goes up or you have to sacrifice somewhere else 
And I've always sort of said many times in reviewing phones, there's always one thing that I don't quite agree with. And actually this time around, it, it's very hard to make anything that you pick out and go, I wish they'd changed that. Or I wish they'd done something a bit different. Of course, you want it to be better. Of course, you want it to be cheaper. But it really feels like they've been very smart with the kind of overall equation here. Now, I, you, could, you could say the same about the 735. Something like the 830, I would make the argument um, that that's very similar, perhaps a, a higher-end processor in that device. But but here in the 640, you know, you are getting that combination, a really excellent value under £100 with basically mid-tier hardware. Um, that's probably the simplest way I can put it. And, uh, you know, as you said, you know, the 630, the 635 were really big sellers for the Windows Phone ecosystem. Um, and actually, I think in some ways they undersold Windows Phone because of some of the compromises they made. You know, whether you talk about the camera or some of the casing, the design, there's, there's just a few little bits that didn't just quite land. Whereas the hardware on the, the 640 can answer all of those questions. The battery life is a really big one for me because I think that really improves kind of the value of this device. It's going to have no problem getting through 24 hours. Um, it's going to be a very rewarding smartphone for most people. They're not going to have problems with it. They're not going to have to change the way they use their phone to kind of get that full day experience and everything like that. And so, yeah, all in all, very impressive. And of course, you add into that the Office 365 kind of freebie, which, you know, if you're talking about a phone that's, you know, £80 per as you go now, I realise it's not re available for that in every market. But even so, you're then talking about something that's worth sort of between 50 and 60 quid, depending on how you calculate it. You really are getting the phone for very little indeed. Now, of course, you know, Microsoft doesn't actually have to bear that cost um, of Office 365, but you know, don't, don't, don't make a mistake. Office 365 does cost Microsoft something because obviously there's all the development effort, but there's also the hosting of the extra OneDrive storage space and the Skype minutes you get as a result of that. So all in all, a really excellent value phone. Yeah, I guess the the obvious question to ask is, um, what are the competitors to the 640? Now, last week we, we talked about the 640XL, and there really aren't that many competitors. <laughs> so they're certainly well-known competitors because all the other fabulous are kind of in the uh, the flagship space. But the 640 certainly does have competitors. A five-inch screen, you know, a gigabyte of RAM, Snapdragon 400, etc., etc. Um, I've been playing with the uh, Huawei Honor Holly here, which at first glance looks like a, a direct competitor, but I did put up a head-to-head. Um, the, today on the site and it's fairly conclusive win that the uh, operating system and uh, ecosystem aside that uh, that the the 640 was much by far the superior phone in terms of components and and the way it all hung together um i i, I would actually go as far as to say that the biggest competitor to the lima 640 is people who prepared to spend an extra 10 20 pounds and and go for one of the Moto G's. And of course, you actually get last year's Moto G for under that amount. So I think the Motorola hardware probably is the only real competition, certainly in Western markets. Yeah, I was going to say, I think you can get a competitor by going for an older phone that's been on the market for a couple of years, even if you look at some of the older mid-tier devices. Now, you may have to ship a uh, shop around to find them. Uh, the other one I would potentially identify is something like the Moto E, which is actually kind of the sister device of the Moto G. Now, that does have some extra cuts, and I think arguably the 640 outdoes it a little bit. Um, on the UK pricing, it's, you know, they're pretty competitive, um, the price together. Um, I think in other markets, the 640, kind of the extra features you, you are paying for them, and that's kind of fair enough. But yes, identifying the Motorola G, and particularly if you went for kind of that first generation rather than the second generation, which typically costs a little bit more near the sort of £150 mark. Um, yeah, I think that's a, 
a fair comment. That said, there are loads and loads and loads of five-inch sort of Snapdragon 400, some Snapdragon 600 uh, type devices. It's interesting that the ones that I would say are directly comparable typically cost a little bit more. You can look at some of the HTC Desire series, for example. Um, and I think the advantage Windows Phone has here is perhaps it's operating on just a slightly lower resource budget, so therefore feels better than it is at this point. And so you put it up against other Snapdragon 400 phones and you know, it'll outperform them. And you, know, you need a, a Snapdragon 600 or something like that, just a little bit more oomph from the uh, Android world. And of course, that does have a, a cost impact. There are various Samsung devices that could, uh, in theory, be put up against this in terms of the kind of lower end of the market. And also, I think I'd probably give a shout out for some of the uh, the mid-tier Xperia devices. Um, the prices on those are pretty variable. And again, you might be looking at an older device in terms of getting the value. There is, of course, the ecosystem question. I think most Android uh, users would say they don't want to switch to Windows Phone because they see the Android ecosystem as superior. And I think that's a perfectly reasonable uh, statement to make. Although I do question at this level how much ecosystem really matters in terms of the apps where I think it probably does matter is services. And if you already have a Gmail account, you have your calendar in kind of Google Calendar, all of that, you probably do get a better experience on the Android devices. But um, on the other hand, actually, I think it's probably worth trying because now Microsoft has made it easy to use the Google services. That will all come down. You won't have the Gmail app, but you'll have the uh, Microsoft email app, which I think in, in some ways is actually a very strong candidate. It kind of depends how much of those Google services you're really using. And, and when I talk about that, I mean things like labels in Gmail or kind of the, the new inbox features. Uh, and so if you're kind of on a more standard email or you're using a, obviously a non-Google email on your Android phone, probably easier to justify the switch. I mean, I think it would, would come back to apps as well. Um, but yes, it's interesting. You, you call out something like the Holly 3, you could pick out a Huawei, you know, one of the Ascend line or one of the P line, um, which obviously kind of sister devices to the Holly in some ways, or any of those other Chinese manufacturers, you know, ZTE being a good example. And I think you will find equivalent devices and you will find similar specification. But something that you said really struck me, it's actually the way it all hangs together. And this is something we found when we looked at $100 phones on the 361 podcast. You know, you can get better components or you can have more money spent on the components and get a higher spec phone but that often comes at the compromise of not being so well integrated or put together or as you you termed it there the sort of brought together hung together it in that whole complete package and i think this sort of plays into the fact that you know the pure spec doesn't matter nearly as much as it used to it's not about speeds and feeds anymore it's much more about that overall package the materials and it's because there's been such commoditization of this space that actually the things that matter most are a bit of design, a bit of materials, but the kind of the accompanying service and support that's important as well, being able to get your phone repaired, the kind of ease with which you set it up, kind of that kind of feel of how good it is. And actually that, that's somewhere where the UK variant of the 640 is kind of interesting. Microsoft are trying to do a couple of things. For example, they've included the Fitbit application by default. There's also a Game Loft Hub with the various games pre-installed. There's the Barclays Ping It application pre-installed. And we're seeing more and more of this in the Lumia devices in all markets. This isn't just a UK thing. Now, some of that will be about wanting to promote specific apps for various reasons. I don't think there's definitely going to be financial exchanges to promote those kind of things. 
I mean, Microsoft is really just interested in making it better for consumers as a whole. But that does mean it, it comes out of the box. It just feels a little bit more ready. And I think also Windows Phone with it live tiles, and they're doing unique setup on each of the phones now. So, for example, looking at the 640, it's got uh, Facebook, Bing News, Lumia Camera, OneDrive, Skype, Sport, Mixed Radio and Fitbit all on the kind of the visible part of the, the start screen if you're just using the default configuration. I suspect many people listening to this podcast won't see that because they'll be setting it up from a backup. But that kind of caught my attention just because it felt like it was sort of a, a more rounded package when it came out of the box. And so, you know, things like the Office 365 bundle play into that as well. But it, it's a slightly nebulous factor to talk about, but it does make a difference when you compare it to something like the, a lot of the Chinese and indeed the Indian manufacturers as well, where there just isn't that same attention to detail and that can apply, apply on the preload of the software, but also the materials. It, it's difficult to know whether this is a bias with what you're familiar with or it's a particular Western way of looking at things, but it does feel that there's just this this sense of polish that you don't get elsewhere. And I think that's one of the reasons these new Lumias have impressed me so much. There is this real sense of polish and it's the same thing you get when you, you know, take a, an iPhone out of the box or the Motorola G has it as well arguably Google's Nexus devices have it. And actually, I think the number of devices that can be described as truly polished out of the box are relatively few and far between, Steve. Yeah. yeah. One thing I, where I, area where I did find curious is if you look at the start screen of your 640, Rafe, and look at it, you'll find it's got the a standard Windows um, phone photos application. That's the first imaging application you'll see. And then if you look down, there isn't any Lumia Storyteller. Now, I went through a whole thing on the last week's podcast and a whole article on the site pointing out that Photos was really rather outdated and didn't hook into any of the things that Lumia Camera 5 could do. And guess which camera application they've shipped as the only camera app on the 640 and 640XL? That's right, Lumia Camera 5. So why, and on the 640XL, on the start screen, there's Lumia Storyteller with all the hooks, all the editing bits and bobs so why on the 640 why on earth is the photos <laughs> the photos app the photos sub up there which doesn't actually tie into the camera i think that they the, the, the 640s we've got actually do have an older layout of the start screen i suspect that retail 640s um in the in the high street certainly will start coming with a slightly tweaked layout uh, I'd like to think that's true, Steve, but I, I suspect in the case, <laughs> despite what I've said, there's still some more polishing required to get that kind of attention to detail. And we kind of mentioned last week that Lumia Storyteller seems likely to displace photos as the, the default app at some point in time. Um, also on this UK event, you've got Cortana as the first tile on the second row of the home screen. That's really notable that that's getting pushed. We talked about how that was mentioned in some of the marketing collateral around this phone. That's going to be a big thing for Microsoft going forward. You know, Cortana, I think, is a real asset and will become more so as it becomes sort of integrated with other apps. That's something that's going to actually come in a future version of the Maps app. And I think we're going to see that happen a lot more. And of course, it's coming to the uh, Windows 10 on PCs as well. At the moment, it feels a slightly artificially pushed thing. Um, I think it's probably British retinas coming out a little bit. You know, we don't like talking to our phones in public, but I will admit to doing it in the privacy of my own home when there aren't any, anyone else about. Um, but it's interesting to see these changes. One thing I also uh, just want to mention in passing is the kind of uh, glance screen. Uh, we talked about how the 640XL and the 640 does have that, but it's a bit disappointing that it doesn't support kind of the app uh, glance screen. What I mean by that is being able to have the weather or fitness data displayed on the glance screen. Apparently, this is due to some limitations in the display memory that's been used with this particular device. 
it seems a bit fishy to me that I can't quite see why there'll be a, a limitation, but I guess we have to uh, take Microsoft at their word for that. But it does mean that you won't get the full glance screen experience on these phones. You, you still get the important ones, which is obviously things like the time and the notification icons. But I was kind of missing my weather forecast, which I do, of course, have on, on the 8.30. So, you know, when talking about everything sounding rosy and good, there are actually a few bits and pieces you notice as you use the phone uh, that aren't so good. Um, Steve, I did want to get your quick take on the imaging because I've had been playing around with this, taking a few pictures of cats and flowers. I've actually been pleasantly surprised. And I would say um, of the, with the exception of the 640XL, this is the best of the 600 series camera we've seen on a Lumia device uh, to date and certainly at this price point. Yeah, I think I'd agree. Now, Lumia Camera 5, which maybe we can do a slinky link into another feature I wrote for the site uh, in a moment, which is uh, c- comparing the Lumia 1020 with the Lumia Camera Classic, with Lumia Camera 5, with all its controversial aspects, on the 930. And that, that was a, c- a comparison that people have been asking for, so I obliged. But, of course, that same Lumia Camera 5 with the the the, the optimizations about um, increasing contrast, uh, lowering noise, redu- noise reduction in an attempt to get the detail up, those sort of things, they play... If you try and photograph a landscape, Rafe, like your back garden, <laughs> yeah, um, you will get, it'll make an absolute mess of the grass because there just isn't enough, um, there isn't enough capacity there to represent that amount of detail. But if you try and photograph something rather simpler, like a building or a car or even a flower close up, something where there's a clearly, clearly defined subject and you know exactly what you want, then Lumia Camera 5 does a really rather good job. Now, if, if you assume that people who are taking landscape photography and beautiful sunsets and cliffscapes and so on won't be using a Lumia 640 to, to take that shot, then that's absolutely fine. If you're, if you're taking photographs of family and friends and flowers and food and cars and motorbikes and whatever, just normal everyday things, then I think this, the Lumia Camera 5 does a very good job, um, as I said, said in my feature. And, of course, having that same software on the 640 and 640XL um, I think this is a really good match. I was very surprised to see it, given that uh, so far we didn't see it on the, I think it was the eight the eight thirty and and upwards. But now to ha- now to have that same software coming down to the six hundred series, I think it's a a big success. And and credit to Microsoft for finally taking away the uh, the vanilla camera app, so that new users aren't confused. Yeah, I'm, I was very pleased to see that. You know, it's just a, a minor detail, but kind of I think it's been a bugbear of mine over the years of the same app doing multiple things or rather multiple apps doing the same thing uh, in this particular case Uh, and yes i'd I'd agree with that assessment i mean we're maybe giving a little bit too much uh, room by saying you know people who have this phone aren't going to take landscape or more complex shots but of course we have to recognize it's a a budget phone and it makes sense to optimize for the most likely shots and and they are going to be portraits and macros you know i suspect if you're going to take big landscape shots you'll be perfectly satisfied with the result but um, you'd probably rather have it perform well in other scenarios. And so, again, it's an example of where I think the equation between kind of value and experience has been well handled. Um, I do think it's worth highlighting that uh, both these devices are going to be available in LTE variants, you know, 4G connectivity. I think that'll depend on what you're using device for, how essential that is. But it's certainly something I would prefer not to live without on a device now, being able to have fast browsing and also consumption of video and streaming services typically work better on LTE. And actually, the bigger thing sometimes is the kind of round trip time, the responsiveness of the connection. Um, And typically, that's going to be better on an LTE over a a 3G connection. So all in all, I think it's a really impressive 
uh, all-round device. I think we'll be talking about the 640 a bit more in a future podcast once we've you know, lived with it for a, a little bit longer. But um, I think the summary here would have to be uh, excellent value, a lot of the right decisions made, and the positive thing for the Lumia portfolio is actually having good options at various price points. And if the 630 and the 635 were a little bit weak, um, I think certainly the 640 corrects that. And now there's an option above it with the 640XL. There's also the 735 and the 830. So, you know, in one sense, there's never been a better time to buy a Windows phone device because you've got a great deal of choice and they're all very strong devices. You've got Windows 10 coming up. The one that kind of flying the ointment is still the flagship device, which we kind of sound like a broken record is coming later in the summer. I was rather amused to see the number of people in our commenters who, who was, having read my review of the 640XL, that, you know, I'm not eyeing this up as the my next Windows phone. And they've already got things like a, an 830 and a 735 and, and a 920 and a 925. And they're eyeing up a 600 series as the, their next Windows phone, which just goes to show really how impressive they, they found the specs, the form factor and the proposition, the fact they don't have to spend big money just to get their, the, you know, a newer phone. Absolutely. And I think this is something we'll see right across the board. It's, you know, why should I spend that amount of money to get a, a new phone? It's interesting the impact it has on usage as well. I mean, typically what we're seeing in the mid-tier is previously it was always the case that high-end users use their phone more than anyone else. But actually the kind of level of usage is increasing for, for mid-tier device owners. They'll be spending more time in apps. They'll be doing more web browsing. And I wonder if not a, a lot of that is actually just down to the fact the experience is better, it's easier to use, and therefore they're more likely to, to do so. You know, it was always before suggested that the heaviest users would automatically end up on the high-end devices. I don't think that was necessarily true. And I think kind of this resurgence in the mid-tier, because um, we've always had a strong high-end and a strong low-end, is is really symptomatic of that. And calling the 640 uh, mid-tier is maybe a little bit of a stretch, but it's certainly at the upper end of the low-end. And, you know, the the hero devices for Windows phones, originally with things like the 520, follow on that, the 530, the 630 certainly uh, became that. And the 640 is very good indeed. And as I said, that price-experience ratio I don't think we've ever seen anything better for the, the 600 series. And so that, I think, is really exciting. Yeah, very briefly before we finish, Rafe, um, I did mention my 1020 Lumia Camera Classic versus 930 with Lumia Camera 5 shootout. Now, I, really, the 640 and 640XL we just talked about are the other shoe dropping in terms of Lumia Camera 5 because I still reckon the 1020 takes better photographs day in, day out than the LC5 or the 930. But having said that, the L, the newer software now runs on everything from the 930 uh, right down to the, the you know the the hundred pound devices, which is actually quite impressive. And because you get that rich capture for op- option um, right across the range. In terms of my shootout, I mean, you've probably got that up on your on your page I there. Do. I, I had a, a variety of comments, most of which kind of agreed with me that 1020 was still had its nose in front. But I did find that a couple of the shots that the 930 was equal to 1020, and in, in one case actually exceeded it. So it really does depend. I know we always come back to this, Ray. <laughs> we always come. What do you want to photograph? And if you want to take a specific low light landscape like sunsets, now that you'll really ever beat the. Uh, 808 and the 1020 that you know the, the larger sensor the larger optics that's what they're born to do but if you're taking photographs as i have been rather re- frequently recently of steam trains and flowers and other inanimate objects um, 
hang on, a flower's animate, that doesn't make, doesn't make sense. But <laughs> it's something that's in the medium foreground, something that's got a defined uh, characteristic, characteristic, then Lumia Camera 5 does an excellent job. And some of my rich capture shots of flowers, certainly, taken at a distance of around about a foot, um, absolutely stunning. And I, I've, I've printed them and I put them off my dad's digital photo frame in his hallway, and he's just blown away by them. And the 1020 did a good job, but the, the rich capture... Um, provided the wind's not blowing the flowers too much. The rich capture on, on, on nature close up is actually very, very good indeed. So I still find myself torn. I'm very glad that uh, Microsoft has still given us the option of having either camera application on each of the, each of the phones. Um, so, for example, on my 930, I have got the camera classic and I've got camera 5. At the moment, LC5 is assigned the camera shutter button, but there's nothing to stop me um, launching the other one from a shortcut. So I really, you really can't um, pay your money and take your choice. Yeah, I think most people probably opt for one camera app, Steve, rather than going the, uh, the <laughs> Steve Litfield route. I, I think what's notable about this really is actually that the 930 is competitive. And if you look through the comments, you'll notice some people are saying it wins in a majority of the photos. There is obviously one of the photos where the 1020, I think, is head and shoulders ahead. But when you consider, you know, a comparison of the optics and the lenses, it's actually pretty amazing that the 930 gets that close. And it's really a testament to the, the software processing and how far things have come since the launch of the 1020 in that department. And it does kind of make me excited for the, the follow-on devices because I think it's a fair assumption we'll see improvements in the optics, um, in kind of all the that hardware side of things in the and maybe we'll see an increase in the optical format size. It's always difficult to know. Presumably more megapixels, maybe more oversampling, maybe some new technology. And we'll see a step forward on the processing. I think what will be interesting is that 940 or whatever it ends up being called probably will be the one to throw the 1020. And if you just looked at the kind of where things were going and the fact that there wasn't going to ever be a 1030 or 1040, I think that will surprise a lot of people. And I've had a few emails with people asking me, is there going to be a 1030 or a 1040? The answer to that is almost certainly no. There was a kind of a flagship that was going to be a follow-up, but that got cancelled. And I think the message, as we said in a previous podcast, is actually, in one sense, those two lines merge and the 940 will be the successor to the 1020 in terms of overall performance. Now, don't get me wrong. I think if you're a professional photographer, if you really take the time to get to know the 1020, play about with the settings, it probably will remain in a class of its own, even perhaps with the 940 coming down the road. But for 95% of users, and I include, you know, some who are very fussy about their imaging, like Steve in that, the, the 930 is probably the device that will give you the best results overall because as you were saying, you get things like the rich capture. You also get Lumia moments. And it's just that ability to capture a picture is better. The 1020 is pretty slow in performance terms. And so, you know, it, it's a camera that you can compose shots with absolutely the 1020 and get some amazing results. But is it a camera you want to live with in day-to-day -day life? I, I would suggest not. And I suppose you could talk about the difference between high-end point-and-shoots and DSLRs. We all know that the DSLR will get a better result, but sometimes it isn't very convenient to carry with us or something's you know, missing. But I, I don't think you can really bring performance into it because you can get some really great performing DSLR cameras. So I won't stretch the point too much. Uh, but looking at this comparison, it was really struck me, you know, as have the last couple of comparisons you've done of this nature, Steve, just how far the, the 930 has come. And in a lot of cases, you know, the 1020 feels a little bit blurred or a little bit like a painting. And, you know, the 930 is just producing more pleasing shots. The, the purists would probably be slightly horrified by that. And, you know, <laughs> uh... 
I would absolutely get behind the comment that says we'd like to have a, a, a button that sort of switches between a neutral and kind of vivid tones. I would absolutely like to see that. Um, and, you know, given that the Lumia imaging teams delivered RAW, which I think can be described as a niche feature and a niche request, I don't see why that couldn't happen, even though I would recognize that it's not something that everyone would uh, take advantage of. But yes, you know, we're going to keep doing these comparisons. They seem to always generate a lot of discussion and a lot of comment. And it was interesting this time around, it did seem uh, fairly split down the middle opinion. I think the 1020 is probably losing fans as time goes by because people are switching to the device and realizing there's a lot of other factors involved. And for me, that's why I don't use the 1020 anymore. There are other things that are important to me in terms of the size and shape of the phone, some of the performance in other areas. And when I can get, you know, say 95, 99% of the performance imaging wise, you know, actually I've been quite happy using the 830, never mind the 930. Yeah. yeah, well, I still reserve the right to take my 1020 out every now and then and caress it and polish it and generally give it some love. I'm, I'm very glad to hear that, Steve, because I wouldn't want it to feel <laughs> like a, a lost puppy in a drawer. I have a little lineup of all my classic phones and I get them out and I appreciate them. But uh, We're out of time, Rafe. It's, uh, it's we are. over 40 minutes. So thank you ever so much for listening. We'll try and be back next week with some more interesting Windows phone talk. But it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me as well. We will try and touch more on Windows 10 for phones and the new build that we were alluding to. Things like the kind of the one-handed keyboard on the 1520, nice little extras. Hopefully we'll also see the Office apps by then. We'll be able to be able to talk about those and together with the new Outlook app that's on the, the, that new build. We've kind of been putting it off a little bit because we have been using the devices, but it isn't quite complete yet and it is very much kind of the early stages and the office as steve alluded to earlier will kind of finish off the package at least we'll, we'll call it late alpha maybe early beta but certainly some more discussion on that in a future podcast but uh, as steve said thank you for listening we always welcome your feedback and tune in next time